As you know, we have today to conclude our brief message series on the book of Habakkuk. Um, for years I've been saying Habakkuk in English, but Paul influenced me in speaking the word in Hebrew, so it sounds fancier. Habakkuk, how's that? As you may recall from chapter 1, the prophet cried out to God because the Lord seemed to be indifferent to sin among Israel. But the Lord answered him and said to the prophet that he would deal with Israel's sin, and he would do so through the Babylonians. That answer simply confused the prophet even more. He could not understand how God could judge his people through the Babylonians. In fact, he questions God saying, Lord, your eyes are too pure to see evil. How can you use such a sinful nation as the Babylonians to judge your chosen people of Israel? God answered him once again, as we saw last week in chapter 2. God said that he would indeed judge Israel through the Babylonians because of her sin. However, afterwards, God revealed to him that he would also punish the Babylonians afterwards. Now we have come to the third and final chapter here in Habakkuk. He is still not clear. He still does not fully understand what God's plan entails and how God's plan for the judgment of Israel will unfold. But he changes his tune. Literally, he sings to God. He sings to God a prayer of praise. And as a song, as we will see, Habakkuk write in these verses in this last chapter with poetic language as a song. And for you to identify and know the events that Habakkuk mentions in this last chapter, it is important that you have read the Old Testament. As we go through the chapter today, I hope that you have your Old Testament thinking cap on so that you can appreciate all the references that Habakkuk mentions in this concluding chapter, which is a song, a song of praise. And so to that end, if you are able, let us stand for the reading of God's word. I will read all 19 verses in Habakkuk in chapter 3 beginning verse 1, where it says, A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigionoth. Lord, I have heard the report about you, and I fear. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God comes from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His splendor covers the heavens, and the earth is full of his praise. His radiance is like the sunlight. He has rays flashing from his hand, and there is the hiding of his power. Before him goes pestilence, and plague comes after him. He stood and surveyed the earth. He looked and startled the nations. Yes, the perpetual mountains were shattered, the ancient hills collapsed. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Kushan under distress. The tent curtains of the land of Midian were trembling. Did the Lord rage against the rivers? Or was your anger against the rivers? Or was your wrath against the sea? That you rode on your horses, on your chariots of salvation. Your bow was made bare. The rods of chastisement were sworn, Selah. You cleave the earth with rivers. 
The mountains saw you and quaked. The downpour of water swept by. The deep uttered forth its voice. It lifted high its hands. Sun and moon stood in their places. They went away at the light of your arrows, at the radiance of your gleaming spear. In indignation, you marched through the earth. In anger, you trampled the nations. You went forth for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You struck the head of the house of the evil to lay him open from thigh to neck, Selah. You pierced with his own spears the head of his throngs. They stormed in to scatter us. Their exultation was like those who devoured the oppressed in secret. You trampled on the sea with your horses on the surge of many waters. I heard and my inward parts trembled. At the sound, my lips quivered. Decay enters my bones and in my place I tremble because I must wait quietly for the day of distress for the people to arise who will invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he has made my feet like hinds feet and makes me walk on my high places for the choir director on my stringed instruments. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your grace upon our lives this morning, and we praise you for the power of your eternal word. We pray, Father, that you would minister to our hearts, that your name would be glorified, and may now indeed, Father, your word, your word perform in our lives what it has purpose to do. May your divine purpose for this time in your word right now be fully accomplished. We praise you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Based on these 19 verses from this last chapter in Habakkuk, our Our message title for today is A Song of Praise. A Song of Praise. As we read in verse 1, it says, A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigionoth. Now, the meaning of this Hebrew word is uncertain. However, it appears to refer to a musical term or even to a musical instrument. Why? Because of what Habakkuk says in the last verse. In verse 19, he says, For the choir director on my stringed instruments. Shigionoth seems to be an indication for a song to be sung accompanied by the choir director. It could be a song that later was transformed into a psalm for the people of Israel to worship the Lord in temple worship. This is a song as I said, Habakkuk could not understand completely God's plan for the judgment over Israel. But he now, by faith, he simply sings unto God. He simply wants to glorify the Lord, knowing that the Lord will do what is best. He trusts in God that no matter how difficult to hear the words of the Lord seems to be, he trusts that the Lord will do what is right toward his chosen nation of Israel. And the indication that this was a song, it, it is in that term and in what he says in the last verse, that the voice, the voices of the choir of Israel, led by the choir director, would be singing this chapter accompanied by stringed instruments. He begins his song with a praise for God's mercy. He sings about the mercies of God. He asks the Lord to have mercy upon the people of Israel. In verse 2, he says, Lord, I have heard the report about you, and I fear. I have heard the report about you. What report is he referring to? 
He is referring to what God, quote unquote, reported to him in the previous chapters. What God told him that he would do in chapters 1 and 2. That the Lord would use the Babylonians to judge Israel. The Bible tells us that in his response, he said, I have heard this, re this report, Lord, what you said that you are going to do, but I fear. And the word fear there, that expression seems that he was in awe. He was in anxious expectation as to what the Lord was going to do when the Lord would begin his judgment over Israel because of her sin. And he continues to say, in verse 2, O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk had already conceded that the judgment of God would come. And would come through a foreign nation, through the Babylonians, as a judgment upon Israel. But the Lord had revealed that to him and caused him to be in that anxious expectation and he could only say to the Lord, Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. He's telling the Lord, Lord, as you have done in so many times, as we see in what is written in the Old Testament, Lord, once again, yes, we, I know that you discipline your people, but remember your mercy in the midst of your judgment. As God had done so many times, Habakkuk asked the Lord to act in the same way as he, as he had done in the past. Israel would sin. God would discipline Israel. Israel would receive God's judgment and cry out to God in distress, in repentance, and beg God for his mercy. The Lord would hear Israel's prayer. He would remember his covenant with Abraham and with the patriarchs, and he would deliver Israel. Israel yet once again because of his mercies. The Lord is merciful. As Jeremiah said to the people in Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 11 and 12, that the, as Jeremiah says in Lamentations in chapter 3, verses 22 and 23, that the mercies of the Lord never cease. They are the only reason why they were not consumed. As it says, your compassions, Lord, they never fail. They fail not. Like Habakkuk, we could also say, where would we be without God's mercy? Where would we be without the mercy of the Lord in our lives? The Bible tells us in Titus in chapter 3, verse 5, that we have been saved not according to our good works, not according to works of righteousness, but we have been saved according to his mercy. In grace, we receive what we don't deserve. But in mercy, we don't receive what we do deserve. It is wonderful to know that we have been recipients of the mercies of God in our lives. We can certainly join our voices with the voice of Habakkuk in his song and praise the Lord. For the mercies of God are always with us. Secondly, he not only praises God for his mercy, that he anticipates that the Lord will demonstrate and manifest on the people of Israel after the judgment has passed, but he also praises God in his song for God's glory. Here, Habakkuk will begin a historical survey of the mighty acts of God in the past where the glory of God was manifested before the people of Israel. He says in verse 3, God comes from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His splendor covers the heavens and the earth is full of his praise. His radiance is like the sunlight. He has rays flashing from his hand and there is the hiding of his power. What is he referring to there? He is speaking of God's glory, that God's radiance, the radiance of the Shekinah glory of God is like the sunlight. And why is he speaking about that? Notice that word in the middle, Selah. Again, we do not know the specific meaning of that word in the Hebrew, but you probably have seen that word many a times when you read the Psalms. 
because the Psalms were songs. They were the hymnal of Israel. The people of Israel would sing the verses that we read today in the Psalms. And Selah appears to be an expression, an exclamation during the song where the choir director or the leader would say for the people to stop singing, to pause singing, and think about what has just been said. Concentrate on the words that have just been said. Now, you are not going to see the word Selah in any other book in the Bible except for the book of Psalms. The only exception is Habakkuk in this chapter, in chapter 3. Why? Because this chapter is a song, just like the Psalms. That's the only other portion in the Bible where you see that expression. Here, in this chapter, as a matter of fact, we see it three times. For the people to stop and think, and think about what they have just sung. And when he says Selah here, what is it that he wanted the people to pay attention to? He said, God comes from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. In your readings of the Old Testament, what happened? What is the reference, the geographical references to Teman and Mount Paran? Why is that important? Well, Teman and Mount Paran, they describe a vast area in the wilderness where the people of Israel journeyed for 38 years. They stayed in the same place for a year before the journey began and stayed in the same place for a year before the journey ended. But during those two years, they were in journeying through the wilderness for 38 years. And Teman and Paran describe a vast area where the glory of God was manifested before the people of Israel. But there is one place where the glory of God was manifested like never before, before the eyes of the people of Israel. And it was on Mount Sinai. We do not know the specific location of Mount Sinai. Some say it is here because of what Paul the Apostle says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 25, that Mount Sinai was in Arabia which today could be in Saudi Arabia in many areas of the Sinai Peninsula. But what is important is not for us to know for sure if this is Mount Sinai. What is important for us to know is what the Bible tells us that happened here. And what happened there? It was here that the glory of the Lord was manifested when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 4, Then the Lord spoke to you from the midst of the fire, you heard the sound of, your, of words, but you saw no form, only a voice. So he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, that is, the Ten Commandments. The people of Israel, they saw the manifestation of the glory of God. They were used to see the pillar of fire by night and the cloud during the day, but here they saw it like never before. The glory of God being manifested upon Mount Sinai, and not only that, Israel also heard the voice of God. Israel remains the only nation on earth to have ever heard the voice of God from heaven. If anyone tells you today that they have heard the voice of God, you run as fast as you can. Because for us, as the church, we don't hear the audible voice of God in our days, but we hear his words through the pages of the scripture. As the Spirit gives us conviction of what we read and understand and place within our souls the power of the Word of God. And we do know through the promise of the Word of God that even for us as the church, that one day we too will stand before the glory of God. And one day we too will hear the voice of God, the majestic voice of our Lord, the majestic voice of our God. He continues his song of praise, praising God for his judgments. Yes, even for his judgments, as Habakkuk knew that the judgment would come, as God had revealed to him. And he says in verse 5, before him goes pestilence and plague comes after him. What is he referring to here that you and I have read in the pages of the Old Testament? In the same way, that God revealed to him that he would judge the Babylonians 
but God would also judge Israel first. God had already judged Pharaoh and the Egyptians when they all drowned in the Red Sea, when the Lord judged them. He judged them through pestilence and through the ten plagues. And yet Israel was also judged by God through pestilence and plagues when there were disobedient Israelites in the wilderness, in the wilderness track, and many perished in the wilderness. But Habakkuk is trusting that different than the way that the Lord judged, will judge the Babylonians and the Lord judged the Egyptians, the Lord will deal differently with Israel. He judged those nations even for destruction. But God, he believes that God will judge Israel not to destroy them, but to correct them. That God will be faithful to his covenant and there will always be a remnant of the people of Israel. Now you and I know that they will see the glory of God one day and it will be only the remnant of Israel who will see it. When the Lord Jesus comes on the second coming of Christ, when he returns to Jerusalem to establish his millennial kingdom. But Habakkuk was trusting that the Lord would give him the privilege yet once again to see his glory after they have been disciplined. We as the church, we can join our voices with Habakkuk even in that hope as well. Because we know that the Lord disciplines us not to destroy us, not to annihilate us, but to correct us. The Lord sends his discipline upon our lives so that we can be made holier, so that we can be made more Christ-like. As the Bible tells us in Romans in chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, and verses 28 through 32, that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord, for those who are called according to his purposes, to be made what? To be conformed to the image of the Son. When we go through discipline, it is not pleasant as we are going through it. But we know that the Lord is doing so, so that we can be conformed to Christ, so that we can grow in Christ-likeness. As the Bible tells us in Hebrews in chapter 12, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Notice that the Bible tells us that because we are not perfect on this side of eternity, that we will be trained by discipline. What it is to be trained, if I want to be an athlete, if, if I want to be an Iron Man, if I want to be a great swimmer, an Olympic medalist, I cannot simply train one day and then never train again in my life. But the Bible tells us that discipline comes to us as training. You can expect that the discipline of, of the Lord will be in your life throughout your stay here on this side of eternity. But it is for my good, it is for your good. We can join our voices yet once again with Habakkuk, knowing that we can praise him even for his judgments, even for his discipline in our lives, because it is always for our good. He continues to praise the Lord for his judgments when he says in verse 6, He stood and surveyed the earth. He looked and startled the nations. Once again, simply in poetic language, Habakkuk is simply saying that no nation on earth can escape the judgments of God. No one, no nation, no country. And he continues to say, yes, the perpetual mountains were shattered. The ancient hills collapsed. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Kushan under distress. The tent curtains of the land of Midian were trembling. Habakkuk is referring to places that were familiar to the people of Israel, but his point is the same even if we were to refer today to any place, to any area on this planet earth, that no one escaped the judgments of God. His ways are everlasting. He is the sovereign one who is in control. God will always have the last word. He stands and surveys the earth. He looks and startles the nations. It is interesting for us to see that today there are many nations, including this one, that appear to act as if God is irrelevant, that God is non-existent. 
And sometimes even hypocritically, they pay lip service to God only to brush, brush him aside through their laws and their decisions. But I tell you, the word of God tells us as we will see that the Bible tells us in Psalm 9, we can join our voices with Habakkuk and we know for sure that one day every person from every nation will stand before the judge of all mankind and give an account of how they lived. The Bible tells us in Psalm 9, Arise, O Lord, do not let men prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but man. One day, even you and I will stand before the Lord. And what will the Lord say to you? I pray that if you are here this morning for this service, or if you are watching this online, or if you are listening to this message, I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would convict you as to your status before God. Because that day will come for all of us. And our sins cannot be forgiven, cannot be taken away by our religion, by our good works, simply by attending church, or by giving money. It is important that you understand that if you die in your sins, you'll be separated from God for eternity. But God in his mercy and in his grace, he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, so that anyone who believes in him and what he did at the cross of Calvary will be forgiven their sins, coming to him in repentance. And I pray that today you make that decision in receiving Christ as your savior for the forgiveness of your sins. Habakkuk continues his song and he praises God for God's protection. In this next verses, he will remember, he will recall how God has protected Israel. He will recall, he will recount several examples of how the Lord has supernaturally protected and delivered Israel. He says in verse 8, did the Lord rage against the rivers? Or was your anger against the rivers? Or was your wrath against the sea that you rode on your horses, on your chariots of salvation? What is he referring to? Do you identify? Do you recognize what is he talking about here? He is referring to the time when God at the Red Sea, he split the sea so that the people of Israel could pass through it. But when Pharaoh and the Egyptians attempted to do the same, the waters once again, they fell upon them and they all drowned at the Red Sea. A tremendous manifestation of the power of God for the protection of Israel. And I want you to see, if you have read the pages of the Old Testament, you have realized that the parting of the Red Sea is one of the most celebrated events in the history of Israel. And it is often repeated in the Old Testament. Not simply because it demonstrated how God would protect the people of Israel, but it was also a sign to the surrounding nations that don't mess with Israel. Don't mess with the God of Israel. They could see the, a, a witness, a testimony of what God would do to protect his chosen nation. And what is amazing, when we read the account in the Old Testament of the parting of the Red Sea, is not only that God split the waters, but God took care of them and protected them to the smallest details. If you read Exodus chapter 14, verse 22, the Bible tells us that the Lord split the sea, but that the people of Israel, they passed through the dry ground. God not only split the waters, but he dried up the, the seabed so that their sandals would not get stuck on the mud, so that their sandals would not get wet. He split the seas and they passed on dry land. This is the God we serve and we still serve the same God. Praise be the Lord for his protection over his people and praise be the Lord over his protection over my life and over your life as sons of God, as part of the church today, we have no reason to think that God will not protect us in the same way. The Lord is gracious. The Lord is merciful. The Lord is powerful. He is our protector. 
he continues to speak of God's protection over the people of Israel when he says in verse 9, Your bow was made bare. The rods of chastisement were sworn. Selah. Once again, he says, stop singing. Let us think about what we have just said. Your bow, Lord, has been made bare. The Lord could have his bow and arrows hidden somewhere when there was no need for action. But when anyone would come against the people of Israel, the bow would be made bare. The bow would not be concealed anymore with his arrows, arrows that he calls poetically the rods of chastisement. They were sworn. They were called in as though God called the arrows of his protection to come to his bow so that he would protect his covenant nation of Israel. He is speaking of how the Lord is protected over those who belong to him. And once again, we have the same blessing in our lives, knowing that God protects us in the same way. He continues to say in verse 9, Lord, you cleaved the earth with rivers. What is this? What passage in the Old Testament is he referring to? In the same way that at the Red Sea, God split the waters and created dry land, God was also protective of Israel in splitting the dry land and creating waters in the wilderness. He split the waters and created dry ground. And he was also able to split the dry ground and create waters. When was that? We see that when he instructed Moses to strike the rock, to strike the, drown, the, the dry ground, and waters came flowing like a river. As David says in Psalm 105, God opened the rock and water flowed out. He ran in the dry places like a river. This is our God. The Bible tells us in Psalm 27, whom shall we fear? As the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, if God is for us, who can be against us? If he has given his one and only son for our salvation, won't he give us also all things since he has already given us the greatest blessing? It is wonderful to know that the same God who protected and acted to protect his people of Israel, now in this hiatus of time in the dispensation of God, in which his eyes are on the Gentiles, you and me, we have the protection of the Lord. We have the grace of our God, as the Bible tells us in, in John in chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, that he came for those, the Lord Jesus came for those who, be, who belonged to him. To, he came for the Jews, for the people of Israel. But because they rejected him, he has given us the power to be called the children of God. Anyone who believes in him has repented of their sins and confessed Jesus Christ as their Savior. It is wonderful to know that we are the family of God. We are the children of God. We are the people of God. We are the church of God. And lastly, he says in his song, a praise for God's power. A praise for the power of God. In these next verses, Habakkuk will speak of three miraculous events that we see in the Old Testament. Three miraculous events that the demonstration and manifestation of the power of God cannot be denied. See if you can identify all these three events that he speaks of right here. In verse 10, he begins saying, the mountain saw you and quaked. What is this about? He is referring once again to the giving of the Ten Commandments. When the law was given, when God gave the two tablets of stone to Moses, and the Lord wrote on those tablets, the glory of the Lord was manifested, the power of the Lord was manifested. You could say that that is the only portion in the Bible that is not inspired by God, because God did not inspire anyone to write it, because God wrote it himself. The Ten Commandments were written by the Lord on those tablets. And the Bible tells us in Exodus in chapter 19, now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked violently. 
Habakkuk is saying that he's continued to trust that after the Lord judges his people, that the people of God will once again see the manifestation of the glory of God. He's trusting that the power of God will be once again manifested among Israel. And he says, the downpour of water swept by. The deep uttered forth its voice. It lifted high its hands. Secondly, he alludes to another miraculous event of the Old Testament. Which one is it? The downpour of water swept by. He is referring to the parting of the Jordan Sea, to the Jordan River, when Joshua and the armies of Israel were crossing to the promised land and the priests were going in front of them with the Ark of the Covenant. At that time, the waters of the Jordan River were swollen because of the rains, as it says, the downpour of waters. The river was flooding, but the people needed to cross that river to the other side. So what did God do? It's as though, it was as though the voice of God spoke to the deep of the river, and the river stopped, and a wall of water was created, and the flow of the river stopped, creating once again dry ground for the people to pass to the other side, to the promised land. The Bible tells us in Joshua chapter 3, And when those who carried the ark came into the Jordan, and the feet of the priests carrying the ark were dipped in the edge of the water, the waters which were flowing down from above stood and rose up in one heap. A glorious manifestation of the power of God. And in third place, he says, sun and moon stood in their places. Do you recognize this? When did this happen in the Old Testament? We know that this happened when Joshua and the armies of Israel were fighting the Canaanites, the Amorites, and the sun was beginning to go down. And Joshua prayed to the Lord that the sun would stand still so that they would have more time to defeat their enemies. The Bible tells us in Joshua chapter 10, Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, O sun, stand still at Gibeon, O moon in the, val in the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation avenged themselves of their enemies. Most likely the Lord, the creator himself, he stopped the earth from rotating. So wherever Joshua and the armies of Israel were, the sun continued to shine. If you read the, the remainder of verse 13 there in Joshua chapter 10, you see that the sun continued to shine upon them for almost 24 hours. Almost for the whole day, only the Creator could do such a miraculous act for the protection of His people and for the blessing of His name. The Bible tells us, they went away at the light of your arrows, at the radiance of your gleaming spear. The enemies of Israel, they fled. They were running because they saw the miraculous manifestation that the day would continue and Joshua and the armies of Israel were defeating them from left and right. But the Bible tells us, as if that was not enough, that God himself, he intervened. They made the enemies of Israel to flee at the light of his arrows, at the radiance of his gleaming spear. What is that? He's talking about the lightning, the rainstorm that came that was bringing not simply drops of water, but God sent a hailstorm. Hailstones were coming down from God on the heads of the enemies of Israel. The Bible tells us in Joshua chapter 10, as they fled from before Israel, the Lord threw large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. The more, there were more who died from the hailstones than those whom the sons of Israel killed with the sword. Can you imagine? The sun was already shining for almost 24 hours, allowing Joshua and the armies of Israel to defeat so many enemies. And yet the number that they killed could not be compared to the number that were killed directly by God through those hailstones. And one thing that we must point out, that the enemies were engaging battle with Joshua and the armies of Israel. But those hailstones were not falling on the heads of any Jews. Those hailstones were only falling on the heads of the Amorites. They were precision-guided missiles. 
It was as though God was sending those hailstorms and he said, hey, listen to me, hailstones. Do not fall on the Jews, just fall on the enemies. And you glad you are on God's side? Oh, I am. The Lord fought for them. The manifestation of the power of God was certainly miraculous, and that was happening. In a sweeping statement, Habakkuk says in his song, in indignation you march through the earth, in anger you trample the nations. He's simply giving a conclusive statement as to the fact that no matter where the battle was, if anyone was coming against his chosen people, the Lord was there marching through the earth, trampling the nations, giving the victory to his chosen nation. Beginning in verse 13, he says, you went forth for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You struck the head of the house of the evil to lay him open from thigh to neck. Selah. Who is the anointed? Selah. Think about what we have just said. Selah. You pierced with his own spears the head of his throngs. They stormed in to scatter us. Their exaltation was like those who devoured the oppressed in secret. You trample on the sea with your horses on the surge of many waters. Habakkuk is speaking first about the past. How God delivered Israel from Pharaoh and the Egyptians by delivering them from slavery. By delivering Israel and his anointed Moses. He is referring to what God had done in the past. But prophetically, this also refers to the fact that God will once again fight for his chosen nation of Israel when he sends his anointed, the Messiah, in the future to give the victory to the people of Israel on the war, on the battle of Armageddon. As we read in Revelation chapter 16, verse 16, and throughout Revelation chapter 19. Whether in the past or in the future, we know that the Lord is faithful to protect his people and to manifest his power for the confirmation and the fulfillment of his word. You and I know that we worship and we serve the same God. If God manifested his power and his grace for the protection of his people in that, in that way back then, 2,600 years ago, won't the Lord, for us now, who are the bride of Christ, who have the Holy Spirit within us, do you have any reason to think that the Lord won't protect you in the same way? That the power of God won't be in your life at those moments when you need the most, each and every second of our lives, we need the grace of God with us. It is wonderful to know that we can always rely on the Lord. Even when we are not faithful, he remains faithful to us. He's a gracious God. He's a merciful God. Now, I want you to remember that in verse 2, Habakkuk said, Lord, I have heard the report about you and I fear. Do you remember when he said that at the beginning of his song? He was remembering the, what God had reported to him, how God would judge the Babylonians, but he would judge Israel for her sin first. And after speaking all these verses, recounting all those marvelous acts of God in the Old Testament, it's as though the realization of that report of what God had told him hit him all over again. And in the very next verse, it's like he snaps. He goes back to that point in verse 2, and he says, I heard again. I heard, and my inward parts trembled. At the sound, my lips quivered. Decay enters my bones, and in my place I tremble, because I must wait quietly for the day of distress, for the people to arise, who will invade us. For such a great portion of his song, he had praised the Lord with all his might for all the miraculous acts of God for Israel. But all of a sudden, as the Lord Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 26, verse 41, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It was as though he was Peter walking on the water, looking at Christ, looking at the glory of God, but then all of a sudden he Remember the waters. He listened to the wind, and he began to drown and to go down. It's as though Habakkuk for a moment was having the same experience. He heard again, and he feared. He says, my inward parts began to tremble. He was shaken inside. 
Just at the sound of what the Lord had revealed to him, he could not even speak. He was stuttering. Decay entered his bones. He felt as though he was dying inside. And in my place, I trembled. His legs were not stable, just thinking of what could happen. Why? Because I must wait quietly for that day of distress. When the people, when the Babylonians will come and they will invade us. There was nothing that he could do. He knew that God had already decreed that discipline for Israel. I, he said, I can only wait quietly and see what's going to happen. Little did Habakkuk know, knew that the Babylonian invasion was about to begin. The Babylonian captivity started in 605 BC, just after this prophecy of Habakkuk. The temple would be completely destroyed. Tens of thousands of Jews would be taken as exiles from the promised land to a foreign land for 70 years, as prophesied by Jeremiah in Jeremiah 25, 11, and 12. The Jews stayed as slaves in a foreign land because of her sin. But after those 70 years, there was a decree through King Cyrus of Persia that would deliver the Jews and allow them even to come back to the southern kingdom of Judah, where Nehemiah would later repair the walls of Jerusalem and the temple would be later rebuilt. But at this point, Habakkuk didn't know any of that. He was hit by that realization. In one moment, his soul was despondent. But just as fast, he returned to his song of praise. Just as fast, he is revived in his confidence in the Lord. And he says, There is a reason why you see me with a portfolio here every time I come to preach. Because in case this happens, I have the slides with me. He says in verse 17, and you can follow with me if you have your Bible with you. In verse 17, he says, though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, through the yield of the, though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exalt the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Although Habakkuk was certain that the judgment of God would come, he was expecting that devastation would also come. He said that there will be no fig trees, no grapevines, no olive trees, no food at all, no flocks or herds, no cattle or livestock, for a nation who was dependent completely on agricultural life, obviously this was spelling complete catastrophe. But despite of what he was expecting that the Babylonian captivity could bring, he says, yet I will, and I believe we have the slides back, he says, I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. He was trusting that the Lord would give him the strength to go through that period of judgment. He says in verse 19, the Lord God is my strength and he has made my feet like hinds feet and makes me walk on my high places. Have you ever felt like Habakkuk before where you don't understand what God is doing in your life but you all you can do, you must wait quietly and trust that the Lord knows what he's doing. The Lord is your strength as he was Habakkuk's. The Lord will give you grace to endure. He says that the Lord has made my feet like hinds feet and makes me walk on my high places. What is a hind? The Hebrew word for hind can refer to a deer or to an ibex. 
as we see in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 15. By the context, because Habakkuk is speaking of an animal whose prowess is, whose prowess is to climb high mountains, he is most certainly referring to the ibex, as you see here. The ibex's feet is suited to climb high mountains, and they seem to defy gravity. No matter how steep the mountains are, the ibex can continue to climb and reach the top. Those animals, the ibex, were common in that region of Israel where Habakkuk is prophesying, where Habakkuk is writing his song. And from the youngest to the oldest, to the end of their lives, they hold the same capacity to climb the steepest of mountains and be able to reach the top. We know that the Lord, our God, he is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. In the same way that Habakkuk was trusting that God would give him hinds feet, ibex feet, to be able to climb the mountain, we can trust in the same way. He was expecting not a smooth path. He was certainly expecting a hard mountain to climb, but he was counting that the Lord would see him through and give him grace to overcome it. No matter what you are seeing in your life right now, I pray that you can join your voice to the song of Habakkuk and praise God for his mercy, for his glory, even for his judgments and discipline, for his protection and for his power. Trust in the Lord no matter what. The Lord will give you grace. Let us pray. Dear God, we are so thankful for your grace in our lives, O oh God. It is so wonderful to know that you never change, but you are our God. And we praise you and we give you glory for all that you allow to come into our lives. Teach us, O oh Lord, each and every day that we have nothing to fear because you are on our side. Even though, like Habakkuk, we know that times and seasons may come in our lives when we don't understand, Lord, what you are allowing to come to our way, to our paths. But we know that we can trust in you no matter what. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your power, for your mercy upon us. As we pray in Jesus' name, amen.